We're back. Back after Oklahoma's Week 5 win over Iowa State. Back for Texas Week. And back on the Letterman jacket with not one but two guests. Todd Lizenby, back as always. Happy to have him. But we got Jenny Carlson making her Letterman jacket debut. Jenny, welcome. Thank you. Can't uh, can't wait to get talking about uh, all things Sooners right now. We're going to jump right into that. But first, a little tradition here. This is the 11th episode of the Letterman Jacket. And uh, so each week we run through the 11s on Oklahoma's roster. OU Red River starter of 2022, Davis Bevel. And linebacker Kobe McKenzie. More starts for Davis Bevel and Red River than Dylan Gabriel. There's your factoid for the week. That'll last for about six more days. Uh Personal favorite, number 11, Mark Messier, my first hockey jersey. Jenny, Todd, number 11s, who comes to mind? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm, Messier, by the way, I became an Avalanche fan um, with, uh, with him around. And when I can't remember what summer that was, maybe 96 or so. I, I really don't have a lot of allegiance to him anymore, but that was kind of my entree into NHL hockey. Trying to think, Ante Jones, I believe, was 11 on the national championship team for Oklahoma. Um, no, no other ones are really coming to mind. It's a fun, I've always I had a weird quirk playing sports as a kid. I got handed 55 as a basketball jersey at a small town a because one. that is the biggest basketball jersey on, you know, in middle school's order. Uh, but then I also got 77 in football, and my favorite player was Larry Bird. He was 33, so I love the double numbers, so I love a double uno. Hey, one of the Thunder players is 11 because we just had Thunder Media Day today and he was telling me about how he was 10, but then he couldn't get 10 here. So he just added one, but I can't remember who it was. I'm bad about numbers that I'm not in season. Ask me in December who Thunder number 11 is and I got it right now. Can't remember. Any quick highlights from Thunder Media Day? Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. And I have to admit, I'm ready for the Thunder season, but I wish it was would hold off for about six more weeks because there's so much good football right now going on that I just want to focus on that. So, yeah, we got to talk to Shea Gildas-Alexander, Chad Holmgren, who, by the way, as Jacqueline, our intrepid producer, said, looked like he was sitting in one of those elementary school chairs. His knees were up so high. It was crazy. That That guy is ridiculously tall it's really uh it's startling to see it in person well love you love you chet you got to work on the facial hair the facial hair todd you could you could help him i would love to help him i i've offered to help his game any way he wants help i would help with the facial hair as well probably more help in that area if you know what i mean but look i'm with jenny the season always comes too quick what's interesting to me this year honestly is will i be more interested during the football season with the tournament with the in-season yeah. NBA tournament, because that will kind of overlap. So we'll see. Usually it's kind of like with the uh, Big 12 Conference basketball. You wait till January, and then you go, oh, let's check the standings, and let's start paying attention now. So uh, we'll see if the in-season tournament gets us going anymore. It's OU Texas week, and I've taken us into a basketball conversation to kick <laughs> off the, <laughs> the OU pod. How about that? We're really on it. Well, we are going to dive into OU football, into Iowa State, into Texas, into Jenny's trip to Boulder for CU-USC, where she rubbed elbows with Lincoln Riley and Deion Sanders and all the celebrities up there. And the baby, The baby and I, best friends now, Todd, I got to tell you. It was a star-studded affair, so we're going to get to all that. But first, a shout-out to some of our sponsors, Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, and Bob Moore Auto. And another one, 
our friends at Fire Lake Arena and Fire Lake Golf Course. They've got a big slate of shows coming up this month. Later this month, they've got Top ZZ Top's Raw Whiskey Tour coming to Shawnee. And if you're more into golf, Todd, I know you're a golfer. They got plenty of deals there. Go look for, for Twilight Rounds. It's really the perfect time of year to play golf, if you ask me. Todd, we played in the dead of summer, and it was way too hot. This is the time. It's cooling down. Get your afternoon rounds in. Fire Lake is the place to do it. Guys, OU Texas Week is here. And starting with Iowa State and Oklahoma-Iowa State, this big OU Texas Week is here really only because Oklahoma took care of business with Iowa State. That was the thing. They didn't need to do much more than they did, and they, they handled their business. But they needed to get to 5-0 and to set up this really exciting Red River matchup with Texas. Two unbeatens, the whole deal. They did the job on, on Saturday night. And I'll, I'll start by asking both of you, because you're both on the move on Saturdays. Where did you take in this OU game, or how did you follow it? Jenny, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I was in Colorado. Um, with the early kickoff for Colorado USC, I was able to go to the game, do the interviews, write my story, get in the car, get back to the hotel. I only missed a little bit of the first half or the first quarter, although I ended up missing the first two scores because the scores happened so fast. So I missed 7-7, seven, seven, but uh, watched it from my hotel room while uh, trying to recover from a very early uh, wake-up call on Saturday. So I was in Edmond. I had a UCO uh, game in Edmond against Missouri Southern. Broncos win, roll chose on a uh, walk-off field goal. First walk-off field goal for UCO since 1999. It was a 2 o'clock kick, so the game ended, and I got in the car right as OU Iowa State started to head home. I did miss a little bit because there's a place in Edmond. Uh, I will give them a shout-out. They are not a sponsor, but Big O's Pork and Dreams. They do turkey legs on the weekends, so... Since I can't go to OU Texas, I thought it was only fair that I went and had a turkey leg the Saturday before. So I went and got a turkey leg, headed home, got home just a little bit before halftime, and kind of caught the second half. Um, I heard on the radio a lot of the bad defense, and I watched with my eyes a lot of the good defense for Oklahoma this weekend. Well, let's start there then with this defense. I think Dylan Gabriel is going to warrant a lot of discussion and his performance the other night, what it means going into to Texas, but... This was the first time we saw some cracks in the Sooners' defense, right? First time this fall where it felt like last fall a little bit in terms of big plays, these busts, these coverage errors that, that lead to big plays. We haven't seen them, OU, give up big plays. The 51 and 67-yard touchdowns were the biggest ones they allowed, and they came in a span of like 10 minutes. Uh, but OU did buckle down something like 82 yards from kind of that final field goal that, that Iowa State had all the way through the rest of the game. It was like the final 39 minutes in a defense that, you know, had people talking and tweeting at points of, uh, of the early part Saturday, looking like a 2018 defense or a 2022 defense. Finally, again, looked like the 2023 Sooners. And now, and we can say this about a lot of the team, but now they're going to get tested. We've seen them do it against Iowa State and SMU uh, and, and so on from there. Now we're going to see, can they do it against Texas? Todd, what did you see when you were catching those good parts of the defense that, that stuck with you? Well, I went back and watched the first half, too, on Sunday morning. And I would just say the good news is all season long, Oklahoma's been really good in the second half defensively. Um, they've struggled at times offensively. We saw it, honestly, a little bit early in the third quarter on Saturday. We saw them struggle 
at times offensively, or at least not finish off drives the way they had in the first half. We saw it at Cincinnati for sure. But defensively, it feels like every time they've gone in at break, they've buttoned up the things that were that were not uh, right and fixed it for the second half. That's all well and good. The problem is, I've also watched Texas a bunch this year, and I feel like if they do that in the first half this week, they're going down by 21 or 24. And no disrespect to Dylan Gabriel, but Caleb Williams isn't there to save you like he was in 2021. So I worry for Oklahoma defensively. I I told you a couple weeks ago, Eli, I still don't feel like this is a team that can run the table. I feel like defensively they are closer to average than they are good, but they're not bad, and that's a step up. And because they are closer to average than good, I think you're going to see a couple times this year where they have busts and maybe lose some games to teams better than Iowa State. Fortunately for them, Iowa State's at the very bottom of the Big 12 right now. I think what you said, Todd, about the adjustments is, I mean, to me, that's a good sign. I mean, I think they are improved. We'll see how improved on Saturday against Texas. But the ability to to adjust, you know, I mean, I think that's key because you are going to have teams that figure out ways to, you know, one-up you here and there, or maybe multiple times because, you know, that's just the nature of the game. So to be able to adjust on the fly, to figure some things out and to, you know, make it work better, I think that's good. Last year was so much about just trying to do simple things in a lot of ways better that, you know, you didn't, I'm sure there were adjustments last year, but I'm not sure it was to a level where we could see it really happening. So now to know that the coaches, you know, Venables can go to the, go to the tent on the, you know, on the sideline after a drive, make adjustments and guys are then able to, to do it. I think that's a pretty important uh, part of the evolution of this defense because you're going to have to be able to do that as time goes on. So that was good. But, you know, this Texas team is really talented. They've got some really talented skill players, a couple wide receivers, a tight end that, you know, are probably NFL caliber guys. Obviously, Quinn Ewers is playing at a high level. So the the challenge for this Oklahoma defense is going to be pretty stiff on Saturday. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, I think one more note on those two early busts. Last year, and this time last year, we're talking about Texas, and, and TCU felt the same way, Kansas State felt the same way. The errors OU had then were like guys 30 yards beyond the secondary, and you're wondering how that happens. The other night, Key Lawrence, that was an individual mistake. I think he, he was going for the pick, and then he pulled up, and as a result, he didn't either. He didn't get a pick or break it up or make a tackle, and he missed on, on Jalen Noel. The next touchdown, Gentry Williams and Billy Bowman run into each other. I don't know enough about football to know it, you know, much of anything, but you run into each other, that's going to happen. Point is, those were individual mistakes. They were the only two scores they gave up, and it wasn't it, that while much of it maybe felt familiar to last year, like, wow, like this defense getting gashed for a big play, where it was different was it wasn't some big coverage bust. It wasn't some major issue and to your to both your points the adjustments were there it didn't happen the rest of the way so that's encouraging one more point on how texas is kind of a different challenge than ou's had you know te- texas always has talented skill guys we saw Bijan robinson and xavier worthy and roshan johnson last year i think a difference now they've got those same not the same skill guys but a talented crew their offensive line a year later has come along in a way that's paving the way on on the ground helping protect quinn ewers they are one of the more complete and talented offenses, I think, in the nation, far and away the most complete one OU has faced. So it's going to be, we'll say it probably 10 more times, and we'll write it 20 this week. This is going to be a test for OU that they haven't had yet. We're going to be here next Monday knowing a whole lot more, I think, about Oklahoma 
Um, maybe even more than Texas. I, I think this is a really defining week for the Sooners. Flipping it over, it's a defining week for uh, Dylan Gabriel, who was fabulous, I thought. You know, he came into that Iowa State game. I didn't think he needed a bounce back because I guess I, don't, I, had, I hadn't seen what a lot of the folks on Twitter or calling it the radio stations had felt about his performance at Cincinnati. But he quieted anybody who was doubting him because Dylan Gabriel, again, was that guy. I mean, he was the deep balls were really impressive. I think this was his best passing game, arguably as a Sooner. I, I'm not talking about stats, but just the way he threw the ball and, and the decision decisions he was making, the reads, all that. He had it. He made plays with his feet, two touchdowns. It was another strong outing. And now he gets to go to, to the Cotton Bowl, where last year, if you'll recall, he dressed and warmed up, but didn't play. Said he watched the second half from a suite or a, one of the press boxes. Uh, it's going to be very different, and I think it's one of the biggest differences, along with that defense, of, of what OU has going for it as they get to the Cotton Bowl this time. Guys, the thing that stands out to me about Dylan is that, I, in my mind, I thought maybe we'd seen sort of the ceiling on Dylan Gabriel a year ago. Like, we knew what he was, we knew what he was good at, you know, and it felt like that, you know, that was that was just what he was. We weren't going to see a ton of improvement. I think he's made some strides this year that have been pretty impressive to see. Um, I think he's more consistent. You know, again, haven't had the big test yet. That's coming. But I think he's more consistent. I think he's throwing more passes better than he, he did a year ago. And then the run game, to me, is something that has been a huge added bonus for him. You know, obviously the opener, everybody's seeing Jackson Arnold in that belldozer-esque package. They don't need that. That's Dylan Gabriel right now. So I think he has made strides. And I don't know if I thought he was, I don't know if I thought it was possible for him to make those sorts of strides. So to me, that's a really, really positive uh, development for the Sooners. I think two things different from last year. And Eli, you and I have talked about this in the past. I think sometimes people forget he had a very traumatic head injury early on in the season, right? Like that changes how you perform later on in the year mentally physically that's a hard thing to get over especially when it's a first year when you're already trying to learn the offense there are things that Dylan Gabriel is like he's not going to be throwing the ball on the rope 60 yards downfield it's just not what he does but if he can manage a game and if Oklahoma can take care of business defensively he does more than enough to to win you football games and I think we've talked a lot about how Oklahoma's wide receiver room has looked really good this year I think obviously a huge part of that is because Dylan Gabriel has done a really good job of putting them in positions where they can succeed when they get the ball. So, um, you know, Jenny, you know this. Eli, you know this. There was another time where OU had a left-handed transfer quarterback that didn't throw the deep ball very well in a coach's second year, and I'd say it turned out okay. Um, I'm not saying that OU's going to win the national championship because, remember, that was also a defense that held Florida State to two points in the national championship game. but they're going to be okay. There's a reason why he's top 10 all time in NCAA passing yards. He can still get it done. Yeah. I think to Jenny's point about the ceiling, I think that's risen. I I think what we thought was if Dylan Gabriel could play to his 2022 ceiling more consistently, OU has a better quarterback and a better offense to me. And I, there, look, there are things to critique and there have been better days than others so far this fall. But to me, it's, it's in the little things you're seeing him do where the improvement is absolutely there. He had a ball the other night. I think it was the 48-yard reception with Jaleel Farouk, where he read it from the pocket, rolled out, and it, he kind of he un, 
it was different than any throw I've seen him take before. He really got like low and he uncorked this looping long ball. And I guess we call it like an oblique moment. It was one of, it was one of the first times I can say I've watched Dylan Gabriel and said that muttered it to myself in the press box. Cause it was, and it, I think that encapsulated so much of what's different this year, just doing different what's things, extended too, a play. Well, what's crazy too, he's doing it without a run game really. Yeah, That's exactly. What's really wild about it is, is just think if, if Oklahoma could get the run game figured out just how much better he would be. You're exactly right, but they've gotten this far without it, really. I think this is a weekend they might need it, and we can get into that. Um, but point is, he's playing probably some of the best football of his college career, going into arguably the biggest start of his college career. That bodes really well for OU. I'm really excited to, to see him in this game. He spoke more confidently, actually, I think, than in any media setting he's been in after the Iowa State game, talking about OU Texas and wanting to be out there. So I think it's, it's going to be exciting to see to some degree which Dylan Gabriel shows up but but if the guy we've been seeing the last few weeks is there I think that gives OU some fireworks to to throw into this game well to this game we've talked enough about Iowa State unless anyone has uh any parting thoughts there let's, let's talk Texas, to Texas let's go let's, come on that's enough yes, of that please. we're going let's into Texas. Texas we'll Game will come in a second, but Jenny, I need to know your first OU Texas memory, whether it was your, your first OU Texas game yourself or, or watching it growing up, where, where did this rivalry begin for you? You know, I don't remember watching it a ton as a kid. I didn't grow up in Oklahoma or Texas. And I mean, I was aware of it and I knew that it was played at the state fair and I knew, I knew the basics, but I really didn't sink myself into it until I moved here in 1999. And obviously things from that point on got a whole lot better for Oklahoma under Bob Stoops than they had been in the OU Texas game. But I think one of my early memories was um, that 2000 game. Uh, I, I think I was covering Oklahoma State that weekend, so I don't think I was actually there. But it's really been interesting to see this series, how it's ebbed and flowed. And sometimes a game like that can really be a momentum shifter in the series. Makes me wonder if what we saw a year ago, I know it wasn't the, the, the situation was, you know, no Dylan Gabriel, no, no obvious backup quarterback, but you wonder if a 49-0 win by Texas really pushes them momentum wise, because this is a series where teams get on streaks. So it's, it, I, it'll be fascinating to see. I know you were asking history, but um, obviously it's a unique game and, you know, being there, if, if you're a college football fan and you have a chance to go, go, because it's unlike anything else with the fair. I mean, other teams do the neutral site game, but the fair and all the people that are there that aren't going to go to the game, but are still there because of the game. It's just a crazy scene. You got to go check it out at least once. Well, let's say in an era where we're seeing, you know, games like this go to big new stadiums, like it, I, I, it sounds like there's a commitment to stay at the Cotton Bowl, but you know, Jerry World's only so far away and you could see a world where a rivalry game like this gets moved into the brand new shiny stadium but in a, a college football landscape with so much change, including OU and Texas moving, it is cool that there's something still somewhat pure down to that old, old stadium, fewer luxury boxes than most. You see the, the fan base split 50-50. It's a really cool thing. So I would say college football fans do need to get there. Another note on the flow of this series, Texas has not beaten OU back-to-back since 2009. So flows are hard, are, they come and they go, they're hard to get into. Oklahoma, on the broader scale, bird's eye has been 
in some kind of flow here. That's some of the history Texas will be chasing uh, this weekend in Dallas. Todd, we told a story, you told a story uh, about a Red River. No, we're, we're going to do a retelling today, and it might lead to sellout crowd not being let in on Saturday, but we're going to take that risk. Was Have you heard the story, Jenny? I don't think I, so. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, I'm on Todd, edge of my seat all about of a to yours. I, I believe so, this was your first OU Texas game. So my first correct? one, I went in. I went in 2002, and that was the year Quentin Griffin ran wild, like 250 yards, and I think it was like number two versus number four. And I went as a fan that year, and my first memory was we total rookie move got to the fairway or got to the uh, stadium way too early. You have to hang out at the fair until like 10 minutes before, and then everyone packs in. But I got there way too early, and so I'm in my seat and. I'd see the tunnel kind of off to my right. And I thought, man, I've watched people walk up that tunnel my entire childhood. I just want to go look down the tunnel. So there's a chain link fence there, which now they cover with curtains. And I went to kind of the bottom of the fence and looked over and I saw Chris Sims was walking out to throw warm up passes, you know, an hour and a half before the game. And there was one other OU fan behind me. And I heard so many profanities yelled at Chris Sims. He looked like Spider-Man on the chain link fence. He was going to come at Chris Sims, poured a drink on him. like, And I was like, man, this is different. So that was my first game. The next year, though, I went back and I went without a ticket. And I was working with Barry Trammell at the time. And I told Barry, I said, hey, if you hear, hear of anyone that's got a good ticket, let me know. You know, this is my budget. And so Barry called me about an hour before the game. And he said, meet me at this area. I think I've got you a ticket. And so I go expecting to pay, and Barry says to me, say nothing of this, this will get you in the gate, and then you can find your way around. And it was a press pass that said Jenny Carlson on it, (laughs) and I used it to get through the gate. Nobody checked my ID, thankfully, because I am not, in fact, Jenny Carlson. Uh, But I used it to get through the gate, and then I went kind of in the uh, OU end, was where back then the handicap seating was. And Randy Heights, my old boss at the franchise, uh, was sitting in that handicapped area. So I just said I was with him, and they, I pulled up a folding chair, and I sat at the top of the stadium and watched in 2003. Then, and I wasn't dressed to be a media member. I was planning on going as a fan. But after the game, and I don't know if they still do this, but you used to walk down onto the sideline and then up the tunnel into the press area. And I, I was like, well, I'm going to get, all out of this I can. So I walk down the down onto the field. There's a famous picture of Brandon Everidge where he's wearing the gold hat. And I'm just out of screen to the right, walking up the tunnel with him, which was, you know, a religious experience for someone that grew up watching that game. Then I'm in the press conference standing at the back while all the real journalists did their work. And this guy nudges me and says, sorry, excuse me. And it's Roger Clemens standing next to me. It was one of the wildest days of my life. I pretended hey. to be Jenny Carlson and I met the Rocket. All I got to say is, you're welcome, Todd. You're welcome. Statute of limitations, I think we're good. Look how far, the, the, <laughs> far back the sellout crowd lore goes. It's like Before it was 20 years. Man. Man, the Rocket. Is he friendly? No, they just got beat 65-13. He was not very friendly. He wanted answers. I think that's why he was there. Hey. I don't know if he was a friendly guy even after a 65-13 win. <laughs> I will say that makes me question the uh, the quality of the uh, security at OU Texas games. If you just wandered in with press pass, that I mean, if it would have said like James Carlson, all right, right, you're you're in, you're fine. But that's what clearly, I thought. That was did, not you. 
Yeah, should I change it to Benny? That's what I was thinking. Maybe see if I could finagle the J into a B or a D for Denny Carlson. But no, no worries. I and the best part was I asked Tram. I said, "Won't somebody check?" And he goes, in total Tram fashion, he goes, "I think it'd be all right." <laughs> just all he said, and just walked <laughs> off, and it worked. So thank you, Jenny. You're welcome. <laughs> that is a Barry story right there, uh, start to finish. So 2023 Red River. Both teams come in 5-0. and It's the first time they meet as unbeaten since 2011. First time they're both 5-0 and coming into this one since 2008. I think last I looked, Vegas Insider, six and a half point favorites for Texas. Where does your guys' attention go? Jenny, we'll start with you in terms of maybe the, the matchup or the place that you're really curious about this week. We'll talk enough about um, you know, OU getting tested, but wh- where are your guys going to be at 11 o'clock Saturday morning? I'm really, I know people want to talk about quarterback matchup and, you know, pass game and all that. But to me, the biggest question I have is what is, what is OU's defensive front going to do with the Texas offensive line? Because they are at their best as a defense when their linebackers can shoot the gaps, they can find, you know, ball carriers, they can get to the quarterback, but that happens at the highest level if your off if your offensive line is getting handled by your defensive front. So to me, that's where if Oklahoma is going to affect Quinn Ewers, if they're going to get to him and disrupt that passing game, that to me is the biggest question. Can that remade OU defensive line, can they do some business to free up Stutzman, Kanak, um, you know, McCullough to get the linebackers, the ability to go make plays. So I'll be watching to see what, you know, Rondell Bothroyd and and the rest of that front do. Cause if they can, if they can do their jobs and really, you know, keep that offensive line from Texas at bay, I think the linebackers can do some work and that's where OU's defense really needs, really needs to build its foundation against Texas. Jenny, what would that combination look like for you if you had to make a, a starting four across that line? Because I think that's been one thing. It, it's not been an issue. And Todd, I'll, I'll want your answer on it too. But I think and it, they really might be able to get through like every game but this one and maybe uh, they're in a New Year's Six Bowl with the defensive front the way it's been. But to me, it's the fact is they've been unspectacular but effective enough. But to win a game like this, they maybe have to be better. Who would you, if you were... Brent Venables or Ted Roof drawing up a, a starting front four, what would it look like? Yeah, it, I mean, that's a great question. I haven't really thought about changing it up. But, you know, I think a guy like, and I can't say his last name, PJ, help me out. Adebawara. There you go. Thanks. You know, somebody like that who is dynamic, um, he's so fast on the edge. Um, I don't know if you can expect a true freshman to get in there and play an entire game. I don't think you would need that. but have somebody with that level of explosiveness on the edge to me that could be a real you know real shift in the dynamic so I don't know who I would say my four are but to me the more you can get you know speedy guys out there because I think they're going to throw some blitzes at them and so if they can get home um, or let those linebackers get home I think that's a really interesting challenge for Texas yeah I mean it's not like in the past where you just go, here are four, you're going to play most of the snaps. There's got to be a lot of rotation. I just think that for Oklahoma, it'll be interesting to watch on Saturday. Are they rotating because they have to, because guys are getting worn down and beat up front? Or are they rotating because 
they're in a situation where maybe getting Adebayori on the edge is good for them in a third and long situation. So as long as the as long as they can kind of control when that rotation happens, they being Oklahoma, I think they'll be in okay shape. Um, as for what I'm looking for in this game, though, I'll I'll go to the other side of the ball. You know, obviously Oklahoma's got to run the ball between the tackles better, but I think two things. Number one, Oklahoma not being able to block up front, we lose sight of a couple things. A, they're blocking the pass game up really well, right? Dylan Gabriel's not getting hit very often. And for a guy that's shorter, he's they're creating passing lanes very well for him to see the field. And also, their wide receivers are blocking really well on the edge. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if Oklahoma can't run the ball up the middle. Can they get anything out on the edge using those wide receivers as blockers? There were times against Iowa State where it felt like they trusted their wide receivers in short yardage to make big blocks more than they did their offensive line. And I just don't know that that's going to work against Texas as athletic as they are. But but the one thing that I like about Oklahoma in this game, even on the defensive side of the ball, is they create big plays. They've done it this season. And these rivalry games are about momentum and they're about big plays. And I think, you know, Oklahoma's defense reminds me a little bit where early um, but a little bit of the 2011 Oklahoma State defense where they were going to allow some yards, they were going to allow some chunk plays, but they were going to make more big plays. And at the end of the game, you were going to go, oh, they allowed 400 yards, but they also had three interceptions. And I think if Oklahoma can create some of those momentum plays on Saturday, they're going to be in the ball game. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough task for them. I think the right team is obviously favored in this game. I think Texas is by far the best team on their schedule. But big plays and big plays early mean the Sooners could have a really good shot at this one. Hey, would one of you guys explain to me what the heck's going on with the OU run game? I Every week I, I, I feel like there's going to be clarity. And then I just feel even more confused. I I mean, Javante Barnes, I have no idea where he's disappeared to. I, to me, he's the type of size of back that in a game like this could be a useful uh, weapon. but. I mean, he's just disappeared. I just don't feel like I have a good sense of exactly what is going on with the run game right now. From I mean, maybe it, maybe what the answer is, it's Marcus Major. But I just, it's really been confusing to me. Well, I think the answer, based on what we saw Saturday night with Iowa State, is that Marcus Major is the answer right now. And I think they're going to stick with him unless they're doing some stuff behind the scenes in, in way of, trying to disguise and maybe it will be Javante Barnes but what what's interesting there is Brent Venables came out Saturday night and said Javante hit that off-season surgery basically the story with him is he he came to OU in 2022 with a lingering foot injury played through it and then had off-season surgery missed most of spring camp and Javante said he came back feeling great in fall camp he was all good he was ready for the opportunity according to Brent Venables it's still lingering it's still some kind of issue he called it a funky sort of thing I don't know if that's a medical term, but uh, he that's how he termed it. And so the fact is, you, you've maybe got one of your best or certainly your, one of your biggest, most physical running backs, potentially not fully fit or available. Gavin Sawchuk was the second running back out the other night. He, he looked pretty good, but I, I think the fact is, Marcus Majors looked the best the last two weeks, and I think you stick with him. Um, but it, the, the answer... To your question, Jenny, is we don't know what the issue, really what's up or, or where the solutions are going to come from. The important point to make, it's a popular talking point, but think of the last 19 Red River games. All but two have gone to the team that led, uh, led on the ground and, and led the rushing game. 
Texas had 336 rushing yards last weekend. They look quite good on the ra- on the ground. Oklahoma's either going to have to buck history or buck the trend of the early season where the run game just hasn't been there. Maybe this is that weekend, but I don't quite know. You know the old question, when you get to heaven, if you could ask one question to be answered, what would it be? I think right now, my question, my follow-up question would be the OU run game. I'll tell you what's going going on with the OU run game when you tell me what's going on with OSU quarterbacks, Jenny. I think that's my first question. <laughs> yeah, that so, definitely is my first, yes. Yeah. Between both of them, though, it is confusing. And with both of them, they got to get figured out soon. I think returning once more just to Dylan Gabriel, this really is a, if the run game especially is not sorted out, this is the game again for the the passing game and and these wide receivers who've been so impressive and this group that's been so deep to continue that, but to, but to go and show that this is an offense that's going to do it against big teams and in big games, because great, they've put big points on, on Tulsa and Arkansas state. Uh, they really looked good against an Iowa State defense that came in leading uh, the Big 12 and passing yards against and all that. This is a chance for, you know, all, all we're talking about with Dylan Gabriel, you know, ceiling rising and looking better from a year ago. Let's see him go do it with Texas. I think it's a big, uh, big opportunity for him this weekend. No, I agree and, with that 100%. I mean, and I think because you're talking about a guy that didn't get to play last year. I mean, this is his, this is his Red River opportunity. Um, you know, uh, so to me, if you're an Oklahoma quarterback and you only get one shot at this game, you want to make the most of it. So I, I think it's a huge opportunity for him. But, um, you know, he's he's playing great. Um, can they get some momentum built early? Todd mentioned the momentum in rivalry games being really important. So that's going to be it's going to be big coming out of the gate. You know, they're going to need to to hit some plays. I think that pass game needs to take some pressure off the run game, um, which it generally tends to go the other way. But in this case, I would feel pretty comfortable and confident that Dylan Gabriel could could provide that. So I think it may look a little different and, you know, but I don't see him getting rattled. He doesn't strike me as a guy that gets rattled in moments like this, but Clearly, this will be the biggest rivalry game, biggest moment he's ever had as a quarterback in college. And, you know, I, it comes back to an answer Brent Venables gave the other night and that Dylan sort of reiterated on uh, and, and spoke on. You can look at what he's doing physically and say he looks different. Everybody within those four walls at, at OU will tell you that he's in a better place from a year ago. He's confident, maybe thinking less. That's how Dylan put it. He said, you know, he's kind of gone back to just playing like a kid and trying to have fun with all this and and making these challenges fun. If that's what's unlocked this, then that's what's working. I I think, obviously, his health is in a different spot as they head into Red River this year, but it seems like OU's quarterback, what he's doing on the field and how he's operating with this team is much further along, and and that might be, on top of the defense, the thing you're most confident about if you're an OU fan. I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be a lot of fun. OU Texas is the best, man. Where are you going to be watching? Me, I'll, I'll be with Jenny and, and Barry in the press box at the Cotton Bowl. Where are you going to be? UCO's on the road this week in Maryville, Missouri. So I'll be, in, I'll, I'll be one of the few people, I think, in Maryville, Missouri tuning into the OU-Texas game. At least it's early, though. The, uh, the UCO game starts at 1.30, so I'll get a good first half viewing in. Love you know, that. I think, I think one of the great things about this game, and uh, getting back to where they are both undefeated and ranked, 
this game matters beyond just the fan bases. And, mm-hmm. you know, to me, that's, that's awesome. You know, when you've got a rivalry game that obviously has so much passion with the fans, but then when it has an impact, you know, on the conference race, potentially on the national championship race, that's what you want OU Texas to be. You want it to be that type of stakes. And so thankfully we're back to that. We, you know, Texas fell on hard times and really was, that was not the conversation for a while when they were in that situation in Oklahoma a year ago. So to me, having those stakes back, sign me up for that every year. It's not really the conversations we've been having around OU. Texas, obviously third in the country, you're, you're thinking playoff, but I think whoever wins this game is firmly in those discussions the next few weeks. Texas is already there, but Oklahoma goes to Dallas and knocks off the Longhorns. We'll be talking about them in the same breath as all those Pac-12 teams, about all the the SEC schools we're not really sure about. It's a big one. I, I would say the biggest game in the country this weekend will be at the Cotton Bowl. Jenny, last weekend you were at the, before this was the biggest game in the country, you were at the biggest game in the country, Boulder, Colorado. CU, USC, saw quite a game. Tell us how you got out there and then tell us all about the experience. Yeah, so with Oklahoma State off last week, we just decided that we didn't need everybody to to flood the press box in Norman. So I headed to Boulder, um, wanted to see what the scene was like before the game on Friday, um, got a little taste of that. And, you know, just it was crazy. I, I I had to go get my press pass at the uh, ticket office. And just so happened the ticket office was right by the team store um, where they sell, sell all the gear on campus. I got there a little before 11 o'clock or no, was it 10 o'clock? Anyway, I think it was 10 o'clock, right before 10 o'clock on Friday. And there were people just waiting for the team store to open. And as soon as it opened, they opened it early because they knew that people were waiting. They opened it early. And basically for the next hour and a half I was there, the line was like 10 or 12 people long the whole time. I mean, people were just buying up anything that they could find. There was like one little section of Coach Prime stuff and like, you know, everything, all the other Coach Prime stuff had been sold, but people were buying whatever they could. And I saw, I talked to people from Alabama, North Carolina, Texas, Florida, I mean, people from all over the place that were coming in to see Colorado play. And then obviously the scene on Saturday, the game turned out to be very entertaining because Alex Grinch's defenses apparently still have trouble stopping the other team. So it became a blowout, became competitive in the second half. But what we saw around the game, the sellout uh, crowd there, uh, the, the, the people were packed. I mean, uh, the sellout crowd, over the nice. um, but it was jam-packed, but then so many celebrities on the sideline. I mean, past athletes, current athletes, uh, entertainers, actors, just all sorts of people. It was- The baby. (laughs) He high-stepped it out, Todd. He helped lead the team out and high-stepped all of Dion from Dion's playing days. I mean, there were so many people down there. I, You know, USC gets a lot of celebrities obviously in California and out in, in Los Angeles when they're going good but they never had anything like that I mean that was something else entirely so it was just I talked to a security guard who happened to be on the field before the game and I said are you guys getting used to this and they just they were laughing they're like this is the craziest thing you know we've ever seen and it is it's crazy because a year ago you could have probably walked up and got a ticket for five bucks before you know, Colorado played any home game. Now 
it's it's probably the hardest ticket in the country to come by. So yeah, just a just a crazy scene, a crazy turnaround for Colorado football. Celebrity wise, Jenny, who did uh, who who jumped out to you that you were standing there pregame on the field and and spotted ten feet away? You know, there were so many people. It was hard. I was, and I'm short. You guys know this. A lot of people know that. I couldn't see a ton of people. I was, I had to sort of figure out where I could stand and where I could look. And, um, but obviously some, some of those former athletes literally stood out. I mean, they were taller than everybody else. So, you know, seeing, uh, whether it was DeAndre Jordan, CeCe Sabathia, um, Paul Pierce ended up, I was just kind of standing. I found a place where I could stand and not get crushed and actually still see people. And then I glance over to my left and about five feet away, there's Paul Pierce, just, you know, just standing, just hanging out, just watching. So, I mean, there were just, there were people everywhere. And I, I, I have to admit, I probably didn't know who everybody even was. I mean, after the game, I saw a guy, uh, looked athletic, taller guy. And I thought that guy looks kind of familiar, but I sort of had to think about it. And a little while later, it dawned on me was Michael Westbrook, the former Colorado wide receiver who played in the NFL for a long time. So like people that I saw, it, it was such a mishmash that you're like, I know that face. Who is that? And you have to like think, OK, wait, they're, you know, they're not related to football in any way. They don't not related to Colorado in any way. Now, who is this person? So it was a it was a mental test. But man, there were just there were people everywhere. And I it, like I said, I don't think I. I didn't lay eyes on everybody. And some of the people that were reported to have been there, I never did see Jay-Z. I never saw Beyonce. Now, now, because of their status, like they're even a higher elevation than some of those people I mentioned before. Maybe they just went straight to a suite or maybe they were back in the back. Dion, you know, they were with, around Dion and then they went to wherever they went. I don't know. But there were definitely some people that were on the list that I didn't get a chance to even see. And not saying they weren't there, but I didn't see them. Maybe they rolled them in with the popcorn cart like they did Taylor Swift in Kansas City. Maybe that's how they <laughs> snuck them by you guys. It is crazy, though. You know, you were out there covering that. And after the game, part of the story is Alex Grinch's defense, PTSD, uh, Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. And you're there interviewing those guys again or asking questions of those guys in a press conference setting. It's wild to think that it was only a couple years ago that that crazy OU Texas game happened where Caleb Williams jumped onto the scene. It feels like 10 years ago. So much has happened between now and then. It really does. I mean, it does feel like a million years ago. Um, but Caleb Williams, guys, I don't know if he wins the Heisman this year, but he is impressive. I mean, just amazingly talented. I mean, obviously people saw it at OU, but he's got now, you know, all this extra development, um, just made some unbelievable throws. I mean, did a little bit of everything had a touchdown where he zipped it in there. Uh, just a beautiful ball right where it needed to be. Then he had that. Uh, it ended up being a very long touchdown for USC where he basically rolled to his left, waited, waited, waited. Finally had a guy break open through oh, across his body, really tough throw right on the money. The guy outruns the, the Colorado secondary to score. So, I mean, he, as good as he was at OU, like seeing him in person again, I'm reminded, oh, wow, he is really legit. I mean, he's he's kind of got that, you know, weird arm angles thing that Pat Mahomes has. Oops, now I just knocked over my drink. I'm so excited. Pat Mahomes does, you know, where he sidearm stuff. That's Kay Caleb Williams is doing that stuff. So, I, you know, I'm a I was a believer when he was at OU, but he's even better than I remember. And I, he's really spectacular. 
Jenny, what impressed you more? Where Caleb Williams is now or the fact that two years later you're still talking about Alex Grinch defenses struggling to tackle and to stop teams and, and doing it at another school with Lincoln Riley? It is kind of surprising that that's still, that's still the case. I mean, um, I went back and did a little research because I wasn't sure sort of what the talk was after last year. But there were people that were ready for Alex Grinch to go after one year at USC. You know, I think they and maybe the fact that Oklahoma had that repeating uh, tale of great quarterback, elite offense, no defense to go along with it, no chance to win uh, postseason football. I mean, that's what that's what we saw with USC last year, losing the Pac-12 championship game, losing their bowl game, you know, just defensively not not able to complement that offense. And here they are again, you know, uh, Riley decides to stay with Alex Grinch. And yet, you know, you see, you know that they, they knew they had issues because when they went out in the portal this year, they got a bunch of defensive guys. They got nine of their 15 portal guys this year were defensive guys. And they went after a bunch of high level ones. Mason Cobb, the former Oklahoma State linebacker, was the best defensive guy they had on the field on Saturday. It wasn't really that close, but they they went out and tried to beef up that defense, and still they're struggling. I mean, Colorado's good. Colorado's offense is good, but USC, there was Colorado had no business getting back into that game. They're down 27 points halfway through the third quarter, and had they managed the clock better on their last possession – Colorado might have had a chance. They were they got the ball back with almost six minutes left in the game and took forever, you guys. There was no <laughs> there was no acknowledgement. They had no more timeouts. They just kept they ran it up the middle a couple of times. Fans booed them at one point because they ran it up the middle. It was like, what are you guys doing? There's no time. Well, I don't know what they were doing. That was a question that unfortunately didn't get asked in the Dion press conference, but I thought their clock management late was terrible. But, you know, still, USC gave him a chance to get back in that game. And, uh, yeah, that defense is not very good for USC. And then they're going to have to play some of these other quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Michael Penix, you know, they're going to have to go out and figure out ways to beat teams that have maybe not Caleb Williams, but that have good offenses. And that's going to be a big test for USC moving forward. Was Lincoln surprised to see you, Jenny? Did he do a double take? What was uh, what was post game like? Well, the there was no surprise because apparently my presence was made known to the USC <laughs> staff before the game. Um, I I actually had a couple interactions with former OU folks who are now at USC before the game started. Apparently, my name was seen on the uh, press list, and so it was passed along to coaches and uh, our old buddy Clark Stroud, who used to be. Dean of students at OU and then moved on to the football staff, was on Lincoln staff for a couple of years, went out there. I saw him on the field. He said, I heard you were going to be here. I said, how did you hear I was going to be here? He said, well, our SID, or, you know, our PR, blah, blah, blah. So no surprise, no double take by Lincoln Riley. My, my presence, again, somehow was made known to them ahead of time. I mean, take another one in the win column for the national the global scale of sellout crowd everyone knew yeah. you were coming jenny yes we're, yes announce it to the masses yes exactly well jenny i don't know what kind of listener you've been to the letterman jacket previously wouldn't blame you for skipping it entirely but we typically end each episode little rapid fire questions typically todd gets a, a game of liz in or liz out but we're going to 
focus it on you today for a game of Carlson okay. or Carl Sout. Uh, you can't say yes or no. It's not that is not the game, Jenny. It is Carlson or Carl Sout. So I'll ask you some questions. All you got to do, tell us if you're a Carlson or Carl's out. Gotcha. You were just at Colorado. Is that of the, the eight newcomers to the Big 12 that are joining, that they'll all be here by next year, is that the best new locale in terms of a stadium and a campus to visit and maybe a climate to visit as I see Todd nodding? Carlson. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Dude. I think it's going to be a great addition. Now, I think Salt Lake City is awesome too. So sign me up for both, but I'll definitely go Colorado. I'll take trips I'm to Tempe, bum, I'm too. just bummed for Barry that Fort Collins didn't get in the thing because he probably would have loved Fort Collins some, for some reason. Jenny, mentioned that defense for USC. Are you Carlson or Carl's out on USC as a playoff hopeful based on that defense? Well, based on that defense, Carl's out. But based on that offense... I mean, that offense could carry that defense to the playoffs, but man, the Pac-12 is tough this year, so I'll go Carl South. I think you'll see what Michael Penix has done to some other secondaries, and if Shador Sanders with that offensive line was doing that, no Travis Hunter, you wonder with this Washington offense. And some of the other quarterbacks, a lot of good quarterbacks. The Pac-12 is great. going to be interesting to see if they can hold up or if it's just going to be Caleb playing in shootouts from now till December. Remember, USC's got Notre Dame, too. So it's not just the Pac-12 schedule that remains. It's that, I mean, Notre Dame and the Pac-12 schedule that remains. So they've got tough games left on their schedule. Jenny, traditionally at Red River, we are treated to a barbecue spread from Rudy's at like 9.30 in the morning. You uh, Carlson are out on uh, morning barbecue at the Cotton Bowl. Carlson, you got to have your pregame meal. So, I mean, and I am not, I do not stand in lines. So, like, my desire to go stand in line out in the fair, eh. So, Carlson on the, on the, on the, uh, on the Rudy's or the barbecue. Todd, any state they, fair food do, thoughts? Do, do they do brisket, like, uh, brisket breakfast tacos? Or is a, it, just it is a lunch, lunch spread. It is a lunch served at 9.30 in the morning. It's fabulous. You know, we love the folks at Rudy's. Potatoes, uh, coleslaw, the whole nine works. Last year, I, mean, I dove in I'm, on the banana pudding pretty hard because that felt more breakfasty. I worked in morning radio for so long. I've eaten lunch at 9.30 in the morning probably more times than you guys combined in your lives. So I'm, I'm all in on it. Barbecue's never bad at any time. All right, Jenny. Dylan Gabriel, Red River debut. Carlson or Carl's out on, on him keeping it up and him getting 350-plus yards in Red River. It's a big number, but I don't know how they're going to run the ball. That's why I went so big. Let us know what you think. Ooh, if you'd have said 300, I'd have said Carl Sin, but 350? I'm going to go Carl Sout on that one. Whoops, i got to get my thumb in the shot. What am I doing here? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think he could go around 300, but 350 seems – that like, that's getting big for me. So, I mean, I think he's going to have a great day. Um, I, a lot of people are talking about Quinn Ewers. I don't think enough people broadly are talking about Dylan Gabriel. I think he's having a great year. And if he shows out, people will be talking about Dylan Gabriel. So I think he's going to have a great game. I'm just not ready to go 350. He better have 350. There's one podcast that put him in the Heisman uh, Trophy finalist list. I a couple heard weeks about ago, that so, podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was this one. Oh, my God. That was us. It was. That's right. <laughs> 
All right, Jenny, the defense, they've had two takeaways in all but the Arkansas State game. So on a pretty hot streak, turnover margins at eight, pretty high up there across the country. Carl Center calls out on, on two more takeaways for OU against Texas in a game, as Todd says, all about momentum. Those turnovers, the ones they really weren't getting last year, wouldn't have helped them against Texas last year, but uh, they've been huge. Can they get there again? I'll go Carlson on this one. Um, I OU's defense has become opportunistic. They they find ways to get the ball, whether interceptions or otherwise. So I think they do it again. Um, and that could be that could be huge in this game. If they could get if they could go over two, that'd be big time. One last one, a big broad question. Texas State Fair. Carlson or Carl's out? Give us your take on the whole thing. Uh well, because of my less than uh, whatever, less than an affinity for standing in lines is, I go Carl's out overall. But I mean, I like I like state fairs in general. But man, on OU Texas Day, it's a lot of people. There's a lot of people moving around, and it's really hard to maneuver. And again, I don't know why this has now come up a second time, but as a short person, it's really hard to move around in crowds. Can't see where you're going. You always kind of get run into. So. It's not the most pleasant crowd experience for yours truly. Well, there was one time at the State Fair where Jenny Carlson was six foot one. That was 2003. <laughs> I'm going and to project Jenny- my inner Todd on Saturday. I'm going to feel Jenny Carlson. <laughs> Jenny Carlson saw around the fair great that day. I do find it interesting that before we started rolling on this thing, Jenny was talking about making conversations with people at the airport. But she can't make conversations with people in line at the hmm. fair. I don't hmm. get it. Those are the best conversations. Yeah, I, I guess I've missed that opportunity. Maybe it's because a lot of them have already talking about starting things before you know breakfast time. A lot of them already started uh, drinking very heavily at that point. So you never quite know what you're going to get. So maybe maybe that's my big hang up with uh, with some of the crowd at uh, the state fair. If you're keeping notes at home, guys. You can talk to Jenny Carlson at the airport, but if you see her on a line at the Texas State Fair, <laughs> do not approach. Eyes straight ahead. Let's get to the end of this. And if you see her looking like me, you didn't. You don't know anything about anything. Just nope. pretend like it didn't happen. Nope. Come on, just be cool. <laughs> well, gang, this has been a blast. That's going to do it for this latest edition, this OU Texas edition of the Letterman Jacket. If you've made it this far and you haven't subscribed already, one, kudos to you, but B, like, what are you waiting for? YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple, leave a review, subscribe. Thank you for sticking along on the ride. We're going to have a bunch of stuff at selloutcrowd.com this week around OU Texas. Jenny will be writing. I'll be writing. Todd will be writing, potting. We're all going to be potting. We're doing everything at selloutcrowd.com. You can find my work, my daily OU coverage at eli-letterman.com. And we will certainly have you covered as sellout crowd all week leading into the game Saturday. Thanks for listening.